Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. This week, we're with Lucas Fricke of Chorecheck in Ulysses, Nebraska. Lucas is a sixth-generation farmer at Union Farms and the inventor of the new Chorecheck technology that's creating a lot of buzz in the ag world. Chorecheck streamlines farm operations and data collection, allowing subscribers to keep digital records in a simplified, secure way and giving producers more time to focus on their animals. We're talking about how this new technology helps tell the story of where your meat comes from and how his college entrepreneurship program is what originally helped spark this idea. Lucas also shares about opportunity within our rural communities, the importance of connectivity for the future of rural America, and where COVID is presenting opportunity for agriculture. So here we go with Lucas Fricke. All right. Well, we're here today with Lucas Fricke of Chorecheck in Ulysses, Nebraska. Lucas, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, thanks a bunch for having me on. Yes. Well, start out with telling us a little bit about you. Are you a Nebraska native? Yes. Yep. So actually, I used to tell people that I was the fifth generation. Um, and then my great uncle, he's like, uh, actually, you're not. You're the sixth. <laughs> so I can add an extra generation on there. Um, nice. Yeah. Yep. Always born and raised in Nebraska. Ulysses is like my hometown. Um, and usually we've always done road crops and hog farming. That's always kind of been our, our bread and butter. Um, we do everything in house from the seed grinding to the trucking to all of it. So um, it's, it's, <clears throat> it's a daily, daily, uh, daily chore load and working with my brother, my mom and stuff. Um, it's, it's been a, it's been an interesting past couple of years for our family. Uh, I've gone through a lot of big, big momentous changes all really quickly. And then you add, you know, COVID and everything else going on within 2020. Um, I'm kind of looking forward to 2021 after this year. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's been, it's been interesting, done a lot of learning and a lot of growing within the past couple of years. Yes, for sure. And at some point in there, you went to the University of Nebraska and you were part of the Engler Entrepreneurship Program there, right? Yes. And that, so I always knew about Angler and the program that it was. And when I was going to sign up for classes, I needed an extra couple classes, um, you know, to like fill out my schedule. And like <clears throat> talking to one of the advisors there, Dr. Brink, actually. And I was like, well, you know, someday, you know, I want to go back and be a far in my farming business and stuff like that. And they're like, well, you should try this angler class. And I'm like, okay, I mean, it's going to be a good, you know, easy cre three credits, you know, it'll, you'll learn something about yourself. And uh, that was a momentous class because Dr. Tom Field, who's the program director, like, I mean, completely turns yourself on your head. And you re-examine like, yeah, I'm a freshman in college, but what am I going to do for the rest of my life? And start asking yourself those hard questions. Like, if you get met with this kind of challenge, how are you going to face it? Are you going to face it, back off? Well, and just, you really looked into yourself and your thinking process. And I don't want to get like too fluffy or out there or hippie, but it was hard questions that you actually set out loud talking about planning your life and how are you going to tackle those problems and you know that was the best coincidence that I've ever had in my life um, is getting put in that class and then from there like most things in my life it was a snowball effect and spun out of control and got me here where I am today so again you know divine intervention and pure coincidence that I got into the angler program and Got to do a lot of cool experiences through it. Um, learned a lot, especially when it came to, I was involved with a, a project <clears throat> called Progressive Beef. And it was a pretty, pretty neat uh, situation talking about um, quality assurance and feedlots and management of that um, and digitizing a system of record keeping and stuff. So a little bit what I do in Shorecheck, but it was a pretty cool situation that Angler was able to create that um, and have those connections and get your real world experience while applying your, you know, university four year degree. And 
I think it's something that's a lot different than what most universities have. Because if you go into it, you're like, what is an entrepreneurial incubator doing in the middle of campus? And like, what is these crazy people that are staying up late hours of the night or trying different ideas? And, you know, that's what Angler is. And Paul Angler, you know, who started the program, he had that fire in his belt and he had that grit and determination to make something and, and be different. And he was okay to go against the grain. You know, one of the biggest things he did was he went down to Texas and started feeding cattle. And I know everyone in Nebraska was like, Oh God, what, you know, we're cattle country, but he revolutionized that down there and he did something different. And I think that's what Engler is teaching a lot of us as well is that you can do be in agriculture but put your own spin on it. Think differently about it. And those are those big skills that thinking outside of the box and outside of the textbooks and the coursework um, is where the entrepreneurship and where the creativity happens. So like I said, Angler has been a huge catalyst in my life. Um, and you'll see how it interweaves into all of my chore check business dealings and even my own life. So yeah, I have a lot to credit for Angler for who I am today. That's great. So was it Angler that kind of brought this idea to life or was this an idea that you had maybe had in the back of your head for a while, but weren't sure where to go with it? So I think like the first time that I was ever really exposed to this idea. And now this is where it starts getting weird with (laughs) the entire story is there's something called the Nebraska Youth Beef Leadership Symposium that the Nebraska Beef Council puts on in conjunction with UNL and their animal science department. Well, you get a bunch of high school juniors and seniors that go to the university. You learn about different beef cuts and all those kind of things and how to market it. You come up with a product, go through all that. Well, at the time, a Colorado professor by the name of Dr. Tom Field was there giving a speech. So this is before <laughs> Dr. Field actually came and ran the program. Okay. And as a junior in high school, I remember Tom talking about, we got 7 billion people to feed in the world and talking about the importance of telling our story and not just the fact of creating brand loyalty and brand trust, mm-hmm. but money. Mm-hmm. Even back then, I mean, I would say Tom was a pretty big visionary talking about selling the story and the impact that it can have upon our consumers. Because people want to know it. People yeah. do want to know what's going on. I mean, like uh, in 2018, Mintel did a research study of millennials. And 56% of millennials will walk away from a brand if they feel it's unethical. But any unethicacy, and it's very open-ended what unethical means. You know, in our industry, we can probably say, you know, like, animal mishandling or, you know, different styles of treatment, things like that could be counted as unethical. So we as an industry and as agriculture in general, the business of feeding people, we can do good by telling our story and at the same time, sell more products because people believe in it. So Tom really started that. And we talked like, I remember in our beef presentation that we had to do for our product, we talked about including a QR code where the beef came from with every dish. Now, now that I'm older and wiser, not a high school junior, uh, that's not as uh, that's not technology that we have yet. It's coming, but that, that was a big dream for a high school, uh, high yeah. school age kid. But, you know, that's where I think that root and that basis of just being able to tell our story have it be unadulterated and really coming straight from the farm gate. Because, you know, whether it be, you know, the trend of locavorism, only eating local and only eating the people you know from, the same amount of artisanship, care, and environmental consciousness goes into a commodity-type product. Mm -hmm. I I really, I, I, I believe, you know, I believe in the chemistry that we use out on our row crop farm. I believe in genetically modified um, organisms. I believe in in intervening with pharmaceuticals to ensure animal health and the safety of that product at the end. You know, that that's what I believe. And I believe that using these tools gives us the safest product in the entire world. And so 
we need to have an ability to be able to share that because, you know, we always have the thing off the tip of our tongue. You know, we're three generations disconnected from the farm. And that is true and it's growing ever larger. But now that we're three generations, let's use our folksy charm and our story to be able to sell ourselves and our products. Because we don't have to put up a, in my opinion, we don't have to put up a, uh, a stand at a farmer's market or have our own local butcher or things like that. The same things that we're doing on a large scale has the same artisanship and wonderful taste and good quality that you're going to get anywhere else. Now, I still encourage people to buy small and buy local because you're supporting those people directly. But there's also the people that, you know, don't have the means nor the infrastructure to be able to do that, but are doing just as good as job. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's where I'm trying to look at, you know, just because I raise commodity type, you know, livestock and crops and such doesn't mean that I care any less. And so understanding that was the biggest thing for me to create chore check because we have a lot of these existing um, paperwork systems and infrastructures that, uh, that ensure quality, like poor quality assurance, beef quality assurance, so on and so forth. But, you know, those systems seem to end at the farm. We, we can't get the follow through that the consumer can trust trust that nor even know about those systems so that's where Chorchuk is hoping to fill the gap with compliancy and the clear view of the steps that are taken and ensuring a great product that is on the shelf no matter where it's at so that was really long-winded sorry if i just started rambling but that is great so explain to us how Chorchuk works walk us through the process so it's pretty simple and that's the way we wanted it to be we're not trying to change up anybody's life, but you got to do a whole bunch of extra steps. The first part is that we digitized your record keeping. Um, we followed all of the major compliancy requirements, um, especially for poor quality assurance to start out. And we're, we call ourselves protein agnostic. So we're working on the other proteins and the other compliancies. Um, so let's just take pork, for example, because that's what I live and breathe every day. And we take those existing ones, we use a digital record keeping system. So you can use the app on your phone or laptop or whatever have you. We try to make it as barn friendly as possible. So using gloves, the less clicks, less typing, those kind of things. And so the difference between our system is that we use smart technologies to ensure and verify that data. So for example, how do we know someone was in the barn that day? Well, because of the devices and the way that you interact physically uh, with inside of the barn with these little QR codes and different things, um, you're, you're actively being involved in the process. So we can say you were there at the barn at this time. The GPS uh, coordinates say that you were here. Um, we have some other kind of special ways that we're able to tell if people are doing a good job or not. And so then we take all that good data. And we actually put it in blockchain. And now this is where people are like, oh, God, this guy's going to talk about blockchain. It's just another ploy to get. No, blockchain in this case isn't to be hip or entice people within the industry, but actually serves the purpose for the verification of the data. Because back in the early 90s, and now I'm not a tech guru, Back in the early 90s, blockchain was created in the insurance industry. So when you created and filed paperwork, all those paperworks were linked together. So if you were missing a page or you're missing a piece of evidence or an exhibit or whatever, you would know if it was missing. So that methodology of having everything linked together was put into the digital space. So... When you complete chores or you log in using a pharmaceutical or you move pigs out or the sensors on the feed bin say there's this much or the water or the pits or whatever else chore check is measuring, all that raw data is stored within a block. And so that block then is linked together with the other blocks and how we can tell consumers and other countries and packers and who may want to know the, the, if a producer is doing a good job overall, we refer to that blockchain because you can't remove any data or breaks the chain. 
And once the data is put into there and our system every night reboots and rewrites the code uh, for that data, so it locks it in at 3 a.m. every morning, um, we'll know if that data was changed. So it adds validity to the data. It's like putting it in a safety deposit box and you can't touch it after that day. And if you do, then you're going to be in trouble. So that's one way that people can trust what, what the farmer's putting in there is truthful. Um, and then because we have that time limit, you can't go back and add. So now there's no ability to backdate. It is what it is, and you can't change anything. But where Chorcheck is a very producer-centric product, and I know blockchain can sound really scary because be like, oh, that's throwing open the barn doors, and I don't want people to know that. We act as the shield. And so you're not releasing any sensitive data um, out to the packer or the consumer because what is created is a score. So we amalgamate all the different aspects. So was there feed in the feeder? Was there water? Are you up to date on your environmental paperwork? Have you been in there every day? Are you having people that are quality assurance verified? All these different metrics that are viewed upon an audit. And so we condense all that down into a simple score. So if someone were to interact with a package of meat, what they can do is they're going to be able to see all those producers that this could have been, not the name specifically, but just producer XYZ. We don't identify anybody unless they want to be identified. So what they're going to be able to show is that overall, our company is compliant. We have good producers that are in their barns every single day. The animals are fed and cared for to the standards and above those standards every single day. And we can trust these sources. We know where they're coming from. We know that these are good people. And so it allows farmers to then profit upon, hey, I'm doing the right thing every single day. You're able to sell more product because more people trust it. And so, and that's where we are able to step in and say, okay, because of this good data, this is what we believe that the producer should be compensated within a premium for. And so that's how chore check works really simply. We take your good job, we protect you, we anonymize you, and then we're able to tell that story at the very end um, and be able to show complete end-to-end supply chain compliancy um, so people can trust the products that they're putting on their plate. That's incredible. So, Talk to me. I mean, I can't even imagine all of the planning that had to go into this to get you to this stage where you have the technology that can do this. So once you had the concept figured out, where did you go from there? How did you start to build it? So here's where Angler gets weird again. (laughs) Through Angler, I met my first development team. And then I also met the guy who became the CEO of my company. And so through those through those connections and through Angler and through happenstance, you know, Angler, you know, I met Tom Field. I, I worked in Angler. I got my experience with Zaletta. So I started understanding software building and tech building and those kind of things. And then I end up meeting the company that's going to, you know, do my first generation of software. Then I meet the CEO and through, it's just, that was the coolest part. So um, I first started with what's called wireframing. I don't know if that's the correct technical term, but I just started, I was like, I want this to do this. Because what Georgetech originally started out with was, I just want an app that I can put all my PQA records in. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to write it down on a bond calendar. And then, like I said, most things in my life snowball. And so (laughs) through Angular, I met another person who introduced me to blockchain. I had a great meeting with them. And then I was like, this is something that I should probably introduce ahead of everybody else. And then I met, through my CEO, a different company that we use some really cool tech communications technology that isn't cellular or Wi-Fi based, that works inside of a hog shed. So, uh, I mean, in rural America, we have a really big, bad time of getting data out through communication means, you know, like through like through your cell phone carrier or through an internet service provider. Mm-hmm. It's not everywhere. So I met this really cool company that has a different technology called LoRa, which is low power, long range frequency. And they decided to do a test or a a project pilot project with inside of our state of Nebraska 
um, to connect us all through this Laura means. So again, pure happenstance and coincidence and luck that I'm able to get my sensor data out at a really ridiculously well-priced ability of communication. It's not even close to what cellular is. I can have way more sensors. They're more cost-effective for the producer. Um, and so, yeah, through that planning and the, those relationships that were built through Angler, yeah, I, I, I have a software. I have a piece of software with my name on it that I created just from an idea because of Angler. So that's great. I think I really answered the question for you though. No, um, you did. Planning. That's, okay. I mean, I think you explained that you've made your connections through the Angler program really, because I mean, for me, as I think about that, I'm like, where, how would you even go about finding those people? But thankfully you had, angler to kind of help make those connections so and that's that's another thing that i think is one of the unsung important parts of the rural community that's different than than big cities is that we have the trust and respect factor mm-hmm. and that is something that is so different than silicon valley or any place else is that in in small communities, XYZ knows XYZ people and word spreads fast. So that being said, it was easy to create those great relationships and those trusting relationships because we had that great foundation of a rural community. And if people are looking, you know, where to put their business, start small because you don't know the kid that's in the high school that may want to get into computer coding or can help you or get things set up for you. Or you don't know that, you know, the lady down the street might have a brother that's in, you know, corporate finance or corporate banking that can get you your first job. Like there's so many of those happenstantial situations that rural communities can foster and everyone in that rural community surrounds you and wants you to succeed. They want the vitality. They want new people in our communities. We're not, we're not a, a cultural drain that some people think. We're, we're a, I, I think that sometimes we have quite a bit of culture because we have such a diverse, um, ethnically diverse background, especially here in Nebraska, where I'm at. We have amazing cultures. Now, I don't think everybody appreciates that up every time, but more and more people are becoming to appreciate it. And yeah. that's why rural America does rock because I rather teach my kids that here because instead of a large community, if I ever have kids, I should say that too. <laughs> Once I get married and have kids, but I like teaching them here because there are so many teachable situations, but it's not a place that you can learn to fail and that failure is not going to be held against you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be able to learn from that failure and not feel bad about it but instead figure out how to grow from it. And that's where I think rural communities make the big difference in the end. Absolutely. So as you were building the program, you actually won a $20,000 award from an Ag Innovation Quick Pitch competition. Tell us about that. That had yep. that was huge. Yeah, that was definitely huge. Um Big shout out to Farm Credit and the rest of the sponsors. Like I should, if I can plug them. Um, <laughs> yeah, this go is going to be a quick Farm Bureau. This is going to be a quick little Farm Bureau plug. Um, I really was surprised about the amount of effort outside of the Ag Innovation Quick Pitch that a company like Farm Credit is putting into investing into technologies for producers. And I mean, like you can even look at Farm Bureau with their ag innovation um, or rural entrepreneurship prize. These companies are really pushing for rural America to be great. And so Farm Credit created this situation um, for starting tech companies and other agricultural innovators um, to talk at what better than uh, machinery shows during the winter. One was in Iowa and one was in Nebraska. I was lucky enough to win the Nebraska one. And so you got, I think it was a minute or three minutes. I can't quite remember the time um, to give a pitch about your product and what you're trying to do, what you're trying to solve. And then from there, there's a panel of judges that decided. 
And then there's also um, a people's choice. So people were able to interact at the event and vote on what they liked. And then they gave out $5,000 to the People's Choice Award. And it was just a really great time to be able to get in front of people, talk about my idea, my product, and what we're trying to do and change. And so, like I said, big shout out to Farm Credit for being able to choose me. Um, And that really helped propel us forward, especially with a lot of the legal stuff is what it ended up going to because lawyers are expensive. <laughs> and uh <laughs> it it really was it was a game changer for our business. So yeah, again, shout out to Farm Credit. I can't say that enough uh for them to believe in me and you know, it was a lot of their producers that were the judges. Um and that was really cool. People that are on their board, people that are involved in production agriculture every single day, um, and making that next um, step forward to how can we solve problems for the producer and how can we as an industry generate more money? Because when you think about it, when the producer wins, that means that we're going to pay more income tax or be able to invest in our community. And that's just the way agriculture is. I mean, I think Sonny Purdue honestly best summed it up when he says, do good and feed everybody. Because that's what agriculture does every day. We like to do good and feed people. So when we earn more, it goes straight back into our communities. And that's where it, it's, it's, a, it's a goal altogether that we need to work forward. And yeah, Farm Credit had the vision. And a lot of these other um, agriculture organizations have the vision to be able to invest within rural entrepreneurship to help uh, sustain that next generation. So yeah. That's a pretty cool opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah, that congratulations, because that's a big deal. And like you said, lawyer fees, talk a little bit about that part of it, because I'm sure you had to secure patents and, you know, copyrights and all that stuff before you even began to put this out into the public. And you can talk like, I mean, like you, you can always, oh, I'm going to go patent that. That process is stinking expensive. Like to anybody out there that's like, hey, I got a great idea. I'm going to go do it. Like slow your roll, bro, Chip, because it gets crazy. And there's people that are very smart and intelligent. Um, We actually went with a firm out of Omaha, Nebraska, Suter and Swans. So hopefully they'd give me a plug sponsorship for that too. Um, (laughs) Their job was to write, I think it, our patent ended up being like, I mean, I think it was almost about a hundred and some pages just of the explanation of how it worked. And this is this in like the process diagrams and that. And then like, the other thing is as the person that invented it, you got to read through it to make sure they got it right. right. Like you can give them everything. And I'm like, Oh boy, this is some heavy reading. So yeah, that was a definite eye-opening experience for myself. It's pretty cool to have your name on an invention. As a little kid, I always wanted to be an inventor, like, you know, every kid does, right? They always want to create the next best thing. But yeah, my name is on a thing that's the United States Patent Office. And so that's a pretty cool, humbling thing, um, I think. Like, I mean, that's a great way to pick up chicks, right? Like, hey, I have a patent. No, yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> so, I mean, so I don't know. That was a definite, like, the amount of time, too, that went into it is the other crazy thing. And then also, like, the work within the international patent area and having lawyer team that understands that because, you know, like most things in the United States, other other people want to copy. That's why we have a dominance within science and technology. And we have a lot of good, great thinking people that we need to protect our ideas. So you got to go into the international community and then there's regulations you got to follow there. And that was an eye-opening experience as well. I actually got some kind of junk mail from some, I think it was Switzerland or Zambia. It, and I don't know how they got my stuff, but it came from some foreign country and was like, we saw that you filed a patent. I'm like, hey, at least I know that the lawyers are doing something. You know, <laughs> yeah. it was kind of a it, was a, it was a pretty cool feeling, but like, that's my name and that's my business and that's my product in a foreign country uh, that people are paying attention to. So 
it was just like again, it's just a really interesting, interesting process, and it really gives respect to the people that can stare at a computer screen and write like a hundred and some pages of a patent document. Like, shout out to you guys for having the the wherewithal to do that. Cause at some point I'm like, okay, I got to stop replying to emails. I got to stop <laughs> typing. I need to go do chores or something. Cause yeah. I, I can't stare at the screen for much longer. And that's where I'm spoiled. I still get a farm with my brother and my mom um, and be able to do that. And I think that's really important to the process of what mm-hmm. short check is, is that I can test it. And if it's broken, I can call the developers and be like, yo, bro, like this isn't working like it's supposed to, how do we fix it? And then understanding that other side, the skills like that angler helped me develop. And, you know, my time at the university of Nebraska that, whoa, like I can talk both sides. That's a pretty cool ability to be able, like it needs to work this way. And, and being able to use and communicate and understand what's out there and also understanding what's uh, real and what's snake oil too. That's another important skill that you learn and you, you also learn how to decipher um, that as well um, to know when you're getting your leg pulled or not by some people. And so, yeah, it was a interesting process. Sorry keep rambling and bringing up other stuff, but yeah, everything's connected for me. (laughs) No, that's good. I love that you're able to represent the farmer in your own product, you know? So that's pretty cool. How did you start pitching it to farmers once it was ready to go? So um, I should say we're still within our beta test area right now. We're working out, um, we went through a major rewrite here in 2019 um, of the software code and stuff. Um, just the first way that it was written, it wasn't very scalable. So um, seeing the potential of it after some alpha testing that we did um, with a few producers were like, okay, we, we've got the concept down. We've got a good basis for everything. We need to fix some major parts of it. Um, and then, you know, we had to introduce some of the, the communications aspects to the sensor data coming in for the verification of the background data, which sounds like a really fancy term, but just making sure that what we pu- we're putting in there wasn't uh, wasn't BS. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's really that was the, the big parts. And then you know we're working on um, a, a major player within the industry and a couple outside protein areas um, outside of pork um, and using our product, going through it, and then. Um, once we do that, we're going to start identifying, you know, more producers that want to be involved and open it up for open use um, that people themselves can use the product. So the biggest goal behind Shorecheck was I shouldn't have to come out to your farm and set it up. It mm-hmm. should be plug and play or set up and play and you're good to go. And so that's really where we are trying to make this a producer friendly, easy experience to be able to get more money for your product for a job you're already doing. Like this isn't anything new when it comes to keeping these records or understanding what's going on in your farm. We're just simply being able to measure it, package it together, make it really simple and easy for outsiders to use um, and being able to show the good job that the producer is doing. Because at the end of the day, after all this is said and done, I still want to feed pigs and I want to farm with my brother. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to be the next Mark Zuckerberg. If I am, that's cool, but I still want to have a hog shed. I still want to go and do farrowing. I still want to combine corn. I still want to grind my feed. That's my true calling in life. I'm just taking a different route to get there. But the biggest part is I want to get paid that very nicely for doing that. <laughs> yes. I want my product to be worth to be worth the hard work that we're putting into it. And I don't think that's a lot to ask. You know, what was it, JFK, that said a farmer's the only one that can buy wholesale and sell retail? Was it JFK that said that? Listeners, Google that. And if I'm wrong, you can tweet at me and tell there me that go. I'm wrong. There you go. <laughs> or, or tweet Dana. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out one way or another. <laughs> oh, yeah, most definitely. But yeah, um, that's, I think that's the overall goal. Yeah. And I love that, you know, the paperwork side is often not the farmer's favorite part. So you're coming up yep. with a way to almost free them of having to, 
spend so much time doing that and have more time to do the things that they love doing. Like you were saying, grinding feet and combining court. Yeah. And that's like, that was when we kind of started out with chore check and just dealing with the compliancy. It was how do we point and click and print a report? Because when I say the word audit, every farmer's is like, Oh God, they just get an anxiety attack. <laughs> and that's the way that it's become. Yeah. I mean, especially within livestock, like, even I have that feeling, but with chore check, I actually had to go through a, it's called site quality assurance where they come out and inspect your barns and so on and so forth. And they also inspect your records and how you do. And I'm like, Oh, that's super simple. I have this Print in my report off, showed them like, Oh, and we spent more time looking at the physical animal and their welfare than we did flipping through a bunch of binders of paperwork. Now, I'm just going to ask you, which do you think is more important, looking through a binder of paperwork or looking at the condition of the animal and the living conditions they're in? The second. Probably. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes. So that's, uh, you answered correctly and you just helped me sell my product. And that's, yeah, that's, there you go. Uh, that's, that's, that's what we're trying to solve. And so that was a great time and like a pat on the back, like, oh my God, my, my ideal worked and we paid more attention to the pigs. And that's where that, that was a big moment for myself. I'm like, okay, this is the right thing to do because everyone hates paperwork except me. I'm kind of weird. I look forward to going to the FSA office because, well, I more end up spending time chatting like, uh, like I do on everything. And it's, or for me and I feel bad for Brie and shout out to Brianne at the David City FSA office because she ends up filling out most of my maps while I just talk about everything. So <laughs> <laughs> but for the rest of the farmer, you know, the ninety nine point nine percent of farmers out there that do hate paperwork, this is where it's gonna make your life a lot simpler um and be able to get paid for doing a good job. Because yeah. at the end of the day there are you know, there there are good producers that deserve probably a little bit of bump up in money for doing a good job. Yeah, for sure. I want to talk a little bit about the current times that we're in. I mean, this has been an especially hard year for anyone in agriculture, but especially if you are raising hogs or livestock. But mm-hmm. at the same time, we we both know and everyone listening knows that our rural people are pretty resilient. So how do you think COVID has changed things for agriculture and for rural America in a good way? That is such a great question. And I talked about this the other day with one of my friends. The best part about COVID is that people now understand the importance of the American agricultural infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Because we actually had food scarcities. We had runs on grocery stores. And people were able to experience what it's like to be in another country that isn't the United States. Mm-hmm. Where sometimes the products they want aren't going to be in the store shelves. Where sometimes it's going to be two, three weeks. So you got to be on a waiting list for products. In the United States, we're so absolutely blessed to have a safe and abundant food source. And that's because of the farmers and ranchers and the great, and I will say the great inspection services that we have. Truthfully, yeah. people, you know, we get freaked out if a couple people get sick from, you know, a foodborne illness. Think about the countries that like they can't control it. Mm-hmm. At least we have a system in place that we can do that. And why do people keep lining up for American food products? They're safe. We've, we, we have a safe and abundant product and we're so blessed. And the biggest thing that came out of COVID, people now understand that what we are doing on our farms and what is going through our processing facilities is safe. And it's, and it's going to be there. Now, again, we, we just realized how important it is that we have that infrastructure to rely upon. And so out of COVID, the, the understanding of that has been great. Um, now, when it comes to other issues within the swine industry, especially, there's some things that we have to deal with, especially were we necessarily 100% prepared for a massive shutdown within our processing capacity? No, we weren't. And that brought a lot of apparent um, contingency plans that need to be created um, to the front light. But it's nothing that, you know, 
is something we can't learn from and we can't make better and we can't use new new technologies such as ShoreCheck to be able to answer some of those logistical questions um, and numbers questions that we're dealing with. So I, I really think coming out of COVID, we are going to have a little bit of a rebirth um, and being able to understand how are we going to prepare for this next round? Because it's going to happen. This is going to happen again. And I don't want to scare everybody, but it's going to be something else. And when that something else comes, we're going to be able to learn from our mistakes. Much like we have when we started the food inspection service back in, what was it, like 1836 or whatever it would have been when you know we started trying to protect people's food. If we stop innovating and stop trying to get better, that's when we're going to fall backwards. And that's what makes the United States, that's what makes rural America the beacon that it is. We are the heartbeat that keeps everybody else going. You know, the people on the coast were going to the place and they're like, well, I can't get my meat. Where am I going to get it from? Well, where do they look for the help here in rural America? Where did the government step in and say, you know what's an essential thing? Meat packing plants. We need to keep us open. We need to keep those people healthy. We need to, you know, those were essential items because, again, food is the main driver. People got to eat three times a day. Now, I want you to pay more for my products to eat three times a day. And that's a whole <laughs> entire different bag of worms. And I am not an economist. And I'm, I wish I could get into that issue, but that is my heated one right now. So, but at the end of the day, I think people are going to have a better appreciation. We're going to have better plans when something like this does happen again. And so that's the one good thing that has come out of COVID. Yeah, so well said. What excites you most about the future of rural America? Well, one, I can tell you like for a tangible thing that I'm going to have in my hands, better internet. Yes. <laughs> we yes. <are. laughs> I can't tell you how much more excited that makes me is having a better internet connectivity into rural America to bring us into the digital age and having people take an active role in making sure that happens. I, you know, Kudos to Sunny Purdue and the rest of the people at USDA. And, you know, um, I think they're kind of the biggest ones leading the rural broadband charge and being able to figure out how do we keep us connected? Because, you know, we don't need dial-up telephones and smoke signals to keep communicating with each other. Right. I think that's getting kind of old if you ask me. But, and like you're um, saying, ag plays such an important role in our economy and in their food systems. And we have to have that. There's the technology is there. We just have to have the internet to be able to use it. Yep. yep. We need to have the connectivity. You know, we're paying how many hundreds of thousands of dollars for smarter planners and tractors. So we can do, you know, we can burn less diesel. We can use more prescriptive plantings and we can use less inputs. You know, we need the ability to move that data back and forth in a more efficient manner and a more cost-effective manner than what we're currently doing because some of that ability to that technology is uh, financially out of reach for some producers. So if we want that technology to be adapted, we want that ability, um, we need the connectivity. Um, and so I think with connectivity, we also see the ability to bring in more vivacious life into our rural communities because we have the opportunity to support these businesses, to support these new technologies, to support these new ideas um, within our communities. You know, computer programmers would probably love to be out in rural America. It's a much slower pace of life. You don't have a lot of people bothering you. You can pay attention to what you're doing. You don't have all the hustle and bustle of city life. You know, it's a different, it's a different pace and you know, a lot of people are able to focus in on it and so it's a different way of life and it's a much more relaxed way of life um but doesn't mean that we're lazy just means that you know we probably have a little bit higher tolerance for some things um and so that's where i see you know having these tools and these infrastructures necessary to support business supports different people um, and having different people build stronger communities. We can all say that. You know, everyone has a story that they come from and the different experiences they learn from. And that that's what makes to the beautiful fabric that is a rural community. And so, you know, 
one of my friends in high school was from Canada in, in the middle of Nebraska. And so she had a different way of looking at things in life, um, as well as the people, you know, from Mexico or Uruguay, or, you know, we had a kid from Angolia that's a first-generation farmer. It's a couple miles down the road that was able to get involved in the Lincoln Premium Poultry Program. And that's an awesome opportunity. That is an amazing opportunity, and that's an amazing person to be in my community to bring in a different outsider's opinion and perspective and help grow rural America. Because just like him, he's going to pay taxes. He's going to use our local infrastructure. He will be involved in the community, and that's only going to make us better. So I really would say better Internet is going to bring more ability for people to enjoy the comforts of technology but also support the technology that needs us. Uh, that we need to propel uh, our way of life forward and to be more efficient. Yeah, great answer. Talk to me about your hometown of Ulysses. What do you love about your town and what are some of your favorite things to do there? Um, so Ulysses is just pretty much a grain elevator and a vet office. Okay. Um, so, <laughs> so it's a pretty small little town. I would say that like the other towns that we got is David City. And that's where I went to high school at, okay. um, to the public high school there. And then I actually went to a different little small town to a little Lutheran parochial school um, in Staplehurst, Nebraska. So it's always cool, the stories and the ability to meet people. Like my brother actually met his wife through the little small town, you know, 20 miles to the south that we went to. And so... It's just cool, the little happenstances that happen there. Um, Absolutely. See, cool, things, cool things that we have. Well, Seward, which is a local, a little bit bigger of a city, um, close to us, they, uh, they have, they're Nebraska's 4th of July city. So this year they actually had to nice. cancel it due to COVID. Yeah. But uh. that's always the big deal is going to Seward because we're close to there. Um, you know, Skyler, Nebraska has probably one of the best breakfast sandwiches ever. So that's a good place to go. We have great Mexican joints all around. If you like Mexican, we got the famous wings of Surprise, Nebraska. Shout out to Surprise. So if you ever want great wings, you have to Surprise, Nebraska. So, and, and I think that kind of goes back to your thing. There's cool stuff all around. There's cool stories and there's cool recipes. And yeah, so rural Nebraska is pretty cool. Yes, it is. And it's pretty beautiful. People sometimes don't know that unless you actually go there. So yeah, it's pretty surprising. Like, um, I actually have a friend who runs a winery and she's like a couple miles away. Well, she doesn't run the winery. She does the vineyard. So she does like all the commercial grape harvesting. And I'm like, that's the thing. She's like, yeah. And it's becoming really big in Nebraska. And so that's only 25 miles to the east. And that's all hilly, and it looks like test me. And then where I'm at, it's pretty flat, which I like. I don't like much more than a five degree slope. I get winded going up more than ten degrees. So <laughs> I'm a flat land person. That's what I like. Yeah. Well, what's next for you and for Chorchek? Um, so the big next steps that we're looking at is like our major beta testing um, that we're going to be doing, and kind of the kind of work within some peer groups and stuff like that um, about adopting our product and kind of having together a, a large pool of data um, mm-hmm. to see a big follow through within the, within the pork park um, and then expanding upon those other protein industries um, that we're trying to use short check for. So hopefully in a couple of years, people will be able to interact with our store, our product at the grocery store level. Um, and if not, people are going to be able to have better compliancy record-keeping for those uh, auditing scenarios. So that's kind of that's kind of the big next steps for Chorcheck is continue to expand and have producers take advantage of their own data um, and being able to have that in a simple, easy-to-use format. Super exciting. Well, I can't wait to follow along and see that. How do we follow along, by the way? So um, you can follow along with me at Lucas Ricky on Twitter. Um, or I think, yeah, and Instagram if you ever want to. And then our website is shortcheck.com. We had to be cool and hip, so we had to misspell it. So it's dot com. 
Perfect. And one last question. Now that you're three or so years into this, what advice would you have for other ag entrepreneurs out there? Don't quit. There's going to be naysayers and there's going to be people that say you got your head in the clouds and that you're too far ahead of your time. If you believe in it and you think that it's going to make a difference and it's going to make your life better, don't quit. And if it fails, at least you tried. Yeah. No one can ever take that back away from you because, you know, and I know that sounds so cliche and it's something that you would read on the back of a middle school poster, but it, it is so gosh darn true that at least you tried. And if you gave it your 100%, you got nothing to worry about. If you didn't give it at all, well, then that's your fault. But don't quit. Don't get discouraged and, and follow it through. And you know what? Every once in a while, a lucky squirrel finds a nut. And I think that with us, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I'm really positive in where we're going. Um, I think that we're early enough ahead. And we got something that people are looking for. So. Everyone has that idea. There's more ideas. There's more discoveries to be made. So don't quit. Pursue it. Perfect. Well, Lucas, this has been awesome. You've shared some great information. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. Well, thank you very much. Well, I love that Lucas is proof that you just never know where your connections will take you and how his chore check technology is going to be a game changer in telling the story of where our meat comes from. Be sure to check out the show notes and follow along with Lucas and the latest developments with Chorecheck. I trust you're super inspired from today's episode and probably have a handful of people you know who would love to hear it. So go ahead and text them the link and leave us a kind review while you're at it so we can keep spreading the rural revival message far and wide. And stay tuned with us on Instagram and Facebook at Rural Revival Co. to keep updated on this podcast and all things rural revival related. And we'll catch you next time on the Rural Revival Podcast. Have a great day, everybody.